bring greetings tonight in Jesus' name. It's considered a privilege to be here and worship with you. Um, certainly have blessed memories and appreciation for Southeastern Conference. Uh, I think for uh, for Mid Atlantic uh, Southeastern Conference was a stable a stable association that we could relate with and. Uh, that's a blessing when we can encourage each other along life's way. I uh, was curious. I know I had been behind this pulpit quite often. And so I went back in my records and I discovered that I had been in this pulpit 21 times. The first time was on April 29th, 1984. And, of course, that included a week of meetings in 1991. I also consider it a privilege and an honor to have known men like Lloyd Horst, James Gary, Charles and Chester Heatwall, and John Russer. Just a little humorous story I have to tell you about John. Uh, the week I had meetings here, he came to me after services one evening, and you know how sober John could be. He said, Ivan, I have a confession that I have to make to you. And I rather lightheartedly said, well, Brother John, you know what the Bible teaches? You can't confess to me. I'm not a Catholic priest. You must take your problems and confessions to the Lord. And he said, I have to confess this one to you. And so he informed me that he had backed into my car just before the services. <laughs> but I did appreciate how he handled it. Uh, he, gave me a, he gave me a car to use. Uh, he took uh, my car to a body shop down here, got it fixed, and several weeks later he delivered it to Pennsylvania. Uh, wasn't uh, inconvenienced in the slightest bit. Okay, the message, maintaining truth in a delusional world. A definition for the word delusional, there are several definitions I got from the dictionary. The state of having the mind deceived. Second definition, the state of having hopes frustrated. And the third one was holding false beliefs or opinions. And in today's world, there are many sources that can delude our minds, uh, can bring us to the point where we don't trust the sources. Just uh, for example, the weather forecast. It just amazes me how they can hype up the weather forecast. Yesterday, they called for four inches of snow all our way, and we got it. But I was so thankful that what was to follow after that didn't happen, and that was 50 miles per hour winds. And so it kind of brings a person to the point where you're not sure if you trust the weatherman anymore. And then the medical world, the COVID-19, I prefer to call it a scamdemic. It was exaggerated to the point that some believed that it was dangerous to breathe fresh air. Our political campaigns constituted of promises that won't 
and can't be kept. The whole issue of sexual identity, diluted public education says you can choose whatever you want to be. And so we have all of these, and that's just a few, we have all of these things surrounding us that have a way of affecting our thinking and our actions. In Isaiah chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, it says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, and that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. I think those verses are an apt description of today's world. It was true in Isaiah's time, and I think it's a very apt description of today's world. A quote from Chuck Colson. When people don't believe the truth, it's not that they don't believe nothing. It is that they believe anything. That's what it means to be deluded, to believe anything. I'm not suggesting that we get cynical to the point that we don't believe anybody, but I think we need to be careful in today's world. Unfortunately, in today's religious world, truth is no longer determined by what God says. There has been a shift from logical, rational, fact-based faith to fear-driven reactions driven by mind manipulators that have been deluded. And so we have all kinds of conspiracy theories and, and all kinds of things that, that we, we say we hear. And we get bombarded with, with it often enough that we start believing it. And that's, I believe, one of the tactics of our age, is just to bombard people with whatever, and eventually they start believing what they hear. Well, how do we main tr maintain truth in a, in a delusional world? The first point I'd like to look at is we must know the truth. I think this is very important. And the book of John has a lot to say about the truth. What is the definition of truth? One, it's conformity to fact and actuality. Two, it is fidelity to an original standard. Now, there's more definitions given for truth, but those two stood out to me. Truth must have a historical basis. Denial of history is dangerous. Denial of history is very dangerous. Truth may need clarification. We recognize that. That's what preacher's job is, to clarify the truth. So truth does need clarification, but truth does not need redefinition. Because if we redefine the truth, we're going to end up with a lie. Truth is authentic in accordance with fact and actuality, or fact and reality. And 
by the way, especially when it comes to the word of God, truth is not for cowards. Truth is unbending. It's inflexible. Facts are inflexible. Francis Schaeffer calls it, he, uh, referring to the word of God, he calls it true truth in capital letters. I kind of like that. And I may use that a few times as we go along here. But the struggle with truth is nothing new. In John chapter 18, verses 33 to 38, then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and, and called Jesus and said on, unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, saying, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, What is truth? Pilate cynically implied that matters of truth are unattainable. At least that's what I understand his question to have been. And ironically, the only standard of truth was standing right in front of him. But he failed to recognize who he was, failed to recognize Jesus. Pilate was trapped in a world of political correctness. And that's nothing new. You and I likewise find ourselves, if we're not careful, trapped into a world of political correctness to the point that we don't have the courage to carry out that which we know is right. And we need to be careful about that. We need to guard against that. Honest people do not belong in the political world. We see that in John 18, 36. Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is thy kingdom not from hence. And so I maintain that honest people don't belong in this world. They have nothing in common with this world. And we need to have a clear position on that. In John chapter 1, Verse 14, I'll be flipping back and forth in John here several times. John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christ was and is the ultimate standard or the ultimate revelation of truth. Christ's standard of truth stands above all else. And it's important that we recognize that. 
in John chapter 8, verses uh, 30 to 32. John 8, verses 30 to 32. As he spake these words, many believed on him. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If ye continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Verse 32. Truth liberates us from the fear of the mind. I mentioned the mind manipulators that we have in today's world. And if we're not careful, those mind manipulators can cause us to live fearfully. The Bible clearly says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love. You can't, can't bring that, remember that verse together in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. We need to be careful about the mind manipulators. The truth of the word of God, the truth of Jesus Christ, liberates us. It makes us free, free from the fears of the mind. And I'm sure we've all met people in our time that of people who were in bondage because of the fears of their mind. But the truth of Jesus sets us free from that to the point that I can face life without worry. And I really think that's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to be caught up in living in a fearful world. We notice that this kind of freedom, this kind of faith, or it starts with faith. In verse 30, it says, many believed. And so it starts with faith. And also that belief must be unwavering. He says in verse 31, continue in my word. That faith needs to be an unwavering faith. And in verse 32, it says, ye shall know the truth. And so we see that truth is not only liberal, liberating, but it's, it's, uh, it's knowable. We can understand it. We can experience it. And God can, and we'll see a little bit later how God can guide us into truth and expand our understanding of what the word of the Lord has for us. In John 14, verse 6, John 14, 6, a very familiar verse here. Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so we see here that truth is exclusive in Christ. I emphasize truth is exclusive in Christ. It talks here about the way, the truth, and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. And without the life, there is no living. Without the truth of Christ, we cannot know the way to God. It is impossible. That's why I say that truth is exclusive in Christ. Because you can't know God any other way. And it's important that we grasp that and understand it. If our path to finding God doesn't include Jesus and his teachings, we're going to end up delusional, very delusional. John 16, verses 13 and 14. 
John 16, 13 and 4. Howbeit when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he shall show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. Through the Holy Spirit, truth is enlightening, it's inexhaustible, and it's enabling. And that's encouraging to me. That's why we need to make the truth of the Word of God our, our, our part of our life. I'm not talking about a historical truth or scientific truth. There are certainly truths uh, in that. But I'm talking here about a spiritual truth. And this spiritual truth needs to become part of our life. John 17, verses 15 to 19. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. I'm going to continue on reading through, through verse 19. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. But for their sake I sanctified myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. And so we see here that truth sanctifies us. Truth sets us apart. If we allow that truth to infiltrate our hearts, our minds, our soul, we're going to be sanctified. We're going to be set apart. We're going to be, we're going to be different. It's going to separate us from the philosophy of this world because the philosophy of this world is not based on truth. It's based on man's logic. So truth makes us holy and godlike. The knowledge of the truth is a requirement if we expect to reach a place of Christian maturity. And so... We must know the truth. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, We can do nothing against the truth. Truth brings us into conformity of the will of God. The truth of the Bible is an unchanging word for all cultures and for all ages. It's for all people. Truth I emphasize, is exclusive in Christ. The second point, if we want to maintain truth, is we need to recognize the untruth. We live in a time of moral relativism. Truth is determined by each individual's viewpoint. A quote I heard goes like this. Your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth. Words insinuating that both could be right depending on the situation. That's dangerous thinking. They say that truth is not singular, it's plural. There are many ways of arriving at the truth. How do we deal with such subtleties? as we face them in our world. 
It's important that we recognize that the Christian life is shaped and directed by the word of God and not personal opinions. Opinions have their place, but we need to make sure that the word of God is preeminent in our lives. In John chapter 8, verse 44, John 8, 44. You are of your father the devil, the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there was no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. So lying is the devil's native tongue. It's natural. It's just as natural for the devil to lie as it was for me to speak Pennsylvania Dutch when I went to school. That poor teacher had to try to communicate with this Pennsylvania Dutch boy that didn't know how to talk English. Now, eventually I came around. But it is important that we recognize that the word of God is needs to be preeminent in our lives and we need to resist and guard against the tactics of the evil one. John 8, 45 to 47. Because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinces me of sin? If I say the truth, you do not believe me. He that is of sin heareth his words, and he therefore, and, and ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. If we reject true truth, the word of God, we are not of God. We're trying to order live, our lives in our own opinions and our own efforts and our own ideas. And Ephesians chapter 2 talks about our past life. Ephesians 2, 2, it says, Where in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air and the spirit of that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Satan controls this present world system. When we go along with everything that's culturally acceptable, that is stuffed down our throats by the mind manipulators, sometimes they're religious people, we become the deniers of truth. And if we're going to be the deniers of the truth, we're going to be walking according to the prince of the power of the air. In verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past and the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Notice there the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Satan controls or Satan works on the mind. That's his motivation. That's his desire. An honest person alters his ideas and his thoughts to fit the Bible. But a dishonest person alters the truth to fit his opinions. I want you to catch that. I'm going to repeat it. An honest person alters his ideas to fit the Bible or the teachings of Jesus. But a dishonest person alters the truth to fit his opinions. Because of many, many 
human opinions, the world is in a ceaseless bedlam of contention. It never goes away. Unless we come back to truth, is the only way to resolve that problem. In James chapter 3, James chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Who is a wise man endued with knowledge among you? James is saying, Who is wise? Who has knowledge? Well, he answers his own question in the latter part of, of verse 13. Let him show out of a good conversation his works with the meekness of wisdom. A person whose speech and lifestyle is under the control of true truth, under the control of the word of God, is going to have a life that is expressed differently than than the logic and the philosophies of this world. Observing a godly person live out of life of faith is a message to the observer. We have a tremendous opportunity to not only verbalize our faith, but to live out our faith. It is a powerful message that gets people's attention. How well are we doing on that? It helps the observer to discern truth and to recognize the untruth. It causes people to think. It causes people to ask questions. And so it's important that we have a lifestyle that communicates the truth of the gospel. It helps others to recognize the untruth. In verse 14, but if you have bitter envying, striving in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth or don't be in defiance of the truth. Envy and strife are the natural result of those who defy the truth who reject the word of God. When we, are de- when we are in defiance of true truth, we can expect problems. There will be problems, and there are problems by those who reject the truth of the word of God. Verse 15, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. And so we can recognize the untruth at work by the lifestyle who, of those who allow themselves to be ruled and controlled by the untruth, to be ruled by lies. The source of worldly wisdom is from hell. It says there it's not from above. So we must conclude that it's from hell. Verse 16, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. The source of worldly wisdom is from hell. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. Again, we can recognize the untruth by the manifestation of the fruit of the untruth that's lived out into people's lives who do not live their lives according to the truth of the word of God. The disharmony and the contention of today's world is understandable. It is of no great shock to us to see that the world is in trouble. It shouldn't surprise us at all. We shouldn't enter any conversations where we say, what is the world coming to? It's just a natural result 
of rejecting truth. We can expect to see it. The devil loves to stir up the passions of humankind to the point that they can't even think right. And when you can't think right and you're under the control of the mind manipulators, you become delusional. We must discern between true truth and worldly wisdom. Notice the difference that true truth makes in verses 17 and 18. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. When true truth is fleshed out in our lives, the result is countercultural. Our lives are not going to be patterned after society around us. Our lives are going to be distinctly different. Our lives are going to carry a message that has weight. Our lives are going to carry a message that is going to help others to recognize the untruth. All right, the, the, the thir third point I'd like to look at, we must love the truth. And I thought about this after I had my outline together. Maybe I should have had this first. We must love the truth. This is paramount if, if we're going to maintain truth. Just look at a few verses. There's a lot of, I, I just, I was surprised how many Bible verses there are about loving the, 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 word, of the God, word of God. So I'm just going to pick out a few. Psalm 119 Verse 97. Oh, how I love thy law! Exclamation mark. Can you and I say that? Oh, how I love the word of the Lord! Unfortunately, this time of the year, the football fanatics are in love with the wrong thing half of them are going to be left down. And the ones that aren't left down aren't going to have much to go by. It's not going to be lasting. Loving the truth is enduring. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Verse 163. Verse 163 in the same psalm. I hate and abhor lying, but thy law do I love. Verse 165, great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Therefore, because I love the law of the Lord, I am not going to get shook up with world news. I'm not going to allow it to worry me. Jeremiah 15, verse 16, it says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And God told Ezekiel in chapter 3, verse 1, Eat this roll. Do we love the word of the Lord to the point that we have a daily consumption of his word? We start out the day in the word of God. Just like physical food, we're not prepared to face today's world without it. And so I trust that you will have a desire to have the kind of love for the word of the Lord the way the psalmist did. Ezekiel 
3, verse 3, it said, God says, fill thy bowels with this roll. He's saying, eat the word of God. Make it become part of you. If we don't love the truth and start the day, if we love the truth, we're going to start the day with God, not the news. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I do like to be, be informed. I do like to keep up to the news. But the word of God is first. The newspaper comes later. And as I permeate my life, as I love the truth of the word of God, that's going to help my thinking and how I feel about the news. The scripture says, line upon line, precept upon precept. A balanced diet is going to prevent us from becoming delusional. A daily eating of the word of God. A well-established faith keeps us when we are bombarded with the untruth. And certainly we are bombarded with the untruth wherever we turn. If we love the truth, we will humbly, by faith, accept the word so that we can succeed spiritually. It is so important. We must love the truth if we want to be successful spiritually. In the years of having revival meetings, one of the observations that I have made when especially noticeable with young people that when they come forward, they're troubled about life, they're struggling. And it's interesting how often I discovered that the ones that are most troubled didn't have daily devotions. It's important that we love the truth. It is important that we digest it. Whether through the Holy Spirit or the Word or through a godly brother or sister, God is at work and we need to respond. We need to pay attention. If we love the truth, we will not use cultural excuses such as, well, this is a new generation or I had a new revelation as if somehow or the other were to be impressed with somebody's opinion. It is the word of God that stands above all these silly ideas that people think supersede what the Bible says. Loving the truth helps us to make application to the word of God. It speaks to us. We examine our lives. It requires that if we're going to be honest with the word of God and if we want to grow, that it's going to require some changes in my life. Applications may vary, but the principle of the word of God never does. Love for the truth will supersede worldly traditions, human philosophy, and personal opinions. Love for the truth results, I emphasize, in counter-cultural practices. We're not going to be like the rest of the world. Our desire is to love the truth. Our desire is to glorify God and to honor him. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as, if, as of the 
ability which God hath given, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Love for the for the truth creates a jealousy for God's glory. We when we promote God's truth, we need to promote God's truth even when it's unpopular, even when it goes counter to uh, people's opinions. We must be lovers of the truth. Whether it comes through the Holy Spirit, uh, by personal meditation, or through the preaching of the word, or personal accountability to the local brotherhood, we need to love the truth, regardless of how the Holy Spirit brings it to us. All right, the fourth point I'd like to look at to maintain the truth, we must heed the warnings about the departure from truth. The scripture is full of those warnings. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? In the early church, there were already people who were delusional about their faith. And brothers and sisters, these many years after the writing in Galatians, if the first century church needed warning, we most certainly do as well. 1 Timothy 6.5 talks about those who are destitute of the truth. The Amplified Bible uses the word bereft. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4, it says that they shall turn away their ears from the truth and turn to fables. There's many, many verses we could turn to tonight about these warnings. But apostasy follows two paths. The first one is default. That's when there's a failure to preach doctrine. That's when our people practice things they don't understand because they didn't hear it across the pulpit or didn't have mom and dad teaching or the Sunday school teacher talking about it. Default. Apostasy by default. It's very real. And that naturally needs, leads to the second step. The default process can be arrested when God's people teach doctrine. But the design stage cannot be turned around. It cannot be arrested. The design stage is when apostasy is deliberate, purposeful, denial of the truth where people get together with committees and deliberately and purposefully decide these practices aren't important they aren't necessary we don't need them people like that you can't persuade and so I appeal to you preachers tonight before it gets to the design stage teach doctor teach your people moms and dads the church doesn't need any new study committees, but rather a commitment to that which is already revealed. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 2, 2 says, the way of truth is evil spoken of. This is not by the world. We expect that from the world. As a matter of fact, sometimes the, the world has kinder things to say about a true Christian 
than those apostates who still call themselves Christian about how we live. So, the way of truth is evil spoken of. This is not, not coming from the world, but professors within Christendom. In Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 13 and 14. Jeremiah 6, 13 and 14. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They, they have healed also the heart of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Notice the word slightly. These people were playing church. They were going through the motions. But it wasn't real. It wasn't genuine. You know, it both amazes me and saddens me what I see going on in the name of Christianity today. Strawberry festivals, movies and entertainment, weekends at the beach, amusement parks, bingo, sports. And a Lutheran church there in the little village of Bethel, once a year they have something that's called the blessing of the animals. The congregation brings all their critters and the minister blesses the animals. Where do you find that in the Bible? Heresy, heresy, heresy. All in the name of the church. Verse 15, of same chapter of Jeremiah. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. They were so accustomed to their sugar-coated sin that they were no longer embarrassed. Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 11. Jeremiah 8, 11. And they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace when there is no peace. The peace that was being offered was a fantasy. It was a delusion. It was a pipe dream. They fantasized that they were happy and free from past religious restrictions. Oh, I'm sure you've met folks like that already. Oh, they live such a glorious life now that they're no longer under the bondage of the rules of the church. But it amazes me that those people's problems still continue. They fantasize that they're happy. Jeremiah 9 verse 3, it says, they were not valiant for the truth. They lost their bravery to stand up for what was right. Isaiah 59 verse 4, it says, none pleadeth for the truth. Uh, turning to Isaiah 59 verse 8, the way of peace they know not. There is no judgment in their goings. They have made crooked paths. Whosoever therein shall not, and whosoever goeth therein shall not know peace. It says here there was no judgment. There was nothing correct about their conclusions. There was nothing correct about what they were doing. But they were still carrying on in the name of religion. But notice the result. In verses 29, in chapter 59, verses 12 to 15.
For our transgressions are multiplied before thee, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us. As for our iniquities, we know them. In other words, they were aware of their sin. In transgressing and, and in transgressing and lying against the Lord and deporting away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off, and the truth, the truth is fallen in the street, and equity or honesty cannot enter. Yea, truth faileth, and he that departeth from evil maketh himself a prey, and the Lord saw it, and it displeased, it displeased him that there was no judgment. No judgment is the idea that there was no discernment of their consequences. There was no understanding of why their spiritual lives were going south and going down the tube. Isn't it sad when people who profess the Christianity, where they move away from God, they apostatize to the point that they don't recognize the problems that they have in life are a direct result of their rebellion to truth? I'm concerned that modern Christians have become cultural imitators instead of pace setters for the biblical truth. I repeat, modern Christians have become cultural imitators instead of pace setters for biblical truth. In conclusion, maintaining the truth in a delusional world is going to become increasingly more difficult. I'm not saying this to dis discourage you, but we do need to recognize what is prophesied in the scripture, that the last days will be dark. Our nation is unraveling because our country's educational system is steeped in the untruth. Our schools and colleges have become institutes of brainwashing. Plus, the church in America has gone to sleep. What can we do? We must know the truth. We must recognize the untruth. We must love the truth. We must heed the warnings about departure from the truth. A quote by A.W. Tozer, and I really like this. Truth is not a thing for which we must search, but a person to whom we must hearken. I repeat, truth is not a thing for which we must search, but a person to whom we must hearken. And so I trust that I may have stimulated in my life and in your hearts the desire to be the discerners of truth and to live out the truth courageously in our day and age. Thank you.